According to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that believers are to make a defense for the hope that you have. Also Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are commanded to defend the word of God, the context of the word of God, and the purity of the word of God. This is the defender of the word of God. Good evening, good evening, once again, family and friends. I'm so pleased to have you with us tonight. Today's date is September the 20th, Wednesday, September 20th, 2017. And we've been having an awesome time in the Lord. God has been really opening up things for us and revealing his word to us in a clear and concise way, and we couldn't be more excited about it. So I, for one, am glad that you took time out of your busy schedule to come and to dine with us tonight, to sit amongst the table and to fellowship with the Word of God, that he may be able to speak to us. We're so pleased and so grateful and, and honored to have this opportunity to be able to come before you and to be able to just open up the scriptures, open up the word of life that we all may grow and be able to maximize that which God has put in our spirit and what he's called us to do. So I want to thank you, family and friends, our biggest supporters out there, family and friends. I consider you all family to me. And this broadcast is an extension of our heart unto you. So we want to thank, first of all, the Resilient Christian Radio Network for allowing us to do this week after week, coming into your homes, into your living rooms, into your kitchens, on your um, iPads and all the different type of devices that you use to be able to hear the Word of God. We're so grateful for that. And we're really grateful for our listening audience because without you, we would not be here. So tonight we want to open up. We are back at the desk once again. Last week we dealt with something uh, called the tasteless Christian. The topic was called Save Without Flavor, the Tasteless Christian. And from what I understand, we've been getting quite a response in regards to that. So we want to continue to delve further and deeper in the things of God and what God would want to express to us as his body of believers. So tonight we want to open up, of course, with the word of prayer that God would be able to speak to you. He would be able to speak to me, through me, through his word, so that we all can be edified and built up in the things that God wants to present to us and have us to grow thereby. So can we pray together? Let's do that. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word that is so powerful. It is life-changing. It is the essence of life itself, and we thank you for that. Father, we repent of all our sins and our trespasses, things that we said and done that was contrary to your, will, your word, your will, and your way. And we ask to be cleansed by the word. We ask to be washed by the word, that we may be able to dine with you in a true spirit of fellowship. So we thank you, and we thank you for forgiving us that we may be able to hear the word clearly and act upon it. Father, we thank you that every ear that is tuned in tonight will be able to grab something that you are depositing into their spirit, that they can grow from it, that they can become emboldened by it and move in the things that you want each and every one of us to do. So we thank you, and we give you this broadcast. We give you this time of fellowship. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. It's always refreshing to begin with prayer, to end with prayer, and to live your life being consecrated by prayer because that is true communication with God. So tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we always say have your utensils ready, your Bible, your pen. You know, you're in a school. You're in a school of the Spirit, and your Bible is your textbook. Doesn't matter how much somebody can demonstrate things when it comes to manifestations of the things of the Spirit, the Word of God is our backbone. It is the crux on which we stand. And everything we do has to have a witness 
it has to have a testimony from the Word of God. So we're going to open up tonight. I don't know how far we'll get depending on how Holy Spirit wants to move in and through us tonight, but we're going to open up the Word of God to the book of John, chapter 13. And I'm going to give you a chance to get there. I'm turning to the book of John, chapter 13. And we're going to begin right there in the beginning of the book. Now, I am reading out of the King James Version. As we always say, people have various versions of the Bible they like to use, and that's well and fine. But we're going to use the King James Version for our reference tonight. And I pray that you really get yourself situated because I truly believe that God is going to reveal some things to you that's really going to help you to get you to understand where he wants you to go. Now, if there was a title at all for tonight, a title at all for this broadcast tonight, it would be called Chosen for Betrayal. I'm going to say that again. The title of the broadcast will be called Chosen for Betrayal. And if there was a subtitle to that, it would be called The Agony of Love. So again, Chosen for Betrayal, The Agony of Love. Now I know that sounds kind of mixed up, you know, all of those type of words and what they mean put together. But I believe as the Lord opens this up to us, we'll begin to understand exactly what he means and exactly why we chose this topic for this particular presentation. So let's read together, okay? We got a ways to go. So let's get into the word. Let's do that. Let's start in the book of John chapter 13, verse 13. And let's read together, okay? Ready? Let's read. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now, we always say you got to get a proper context before you go on in the scripture. Now something had to happen before this came about because we're starting in John chapter 12, I mean chapter 13. So this is where we begin. But if you look back to where he started from or at least a little bit further, we got to find out why are we going from this place to another place because in this scripture we are making a turn of events. So we start in John chapter 13, but if you have your Bible open, let's go up a little bit further, and we're going to read the end of chapter 12. We'll start at verse 46. We'll start there, okay? And I'm going to just read it, all right, so we can get a proper context. In 46, he says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So let's understand that the mission of Christ is not coming to judge the world, but to save the world. He says that emphatically here. In verse 48, he says, He that rejoiceth, I mean, he that rejecteth me, and receive not my words, has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So we need to understand that it's not about judgment per se on people judging. But Jesus has already made the declaration that it's not even him coming to judge the word. He says that the person that rejects him, and doesn't receive his words, 
There is one that will judge him. And who is the one that he's talking about? He said, the word that I have spoken. The words that I've spoken, those words in itself is the same, and it's the one that should judge him in the last day. So we need to understand that. 49 says, For I've not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So here is Christ. He is emphatically speaking that his job is to speak what the Father says. So he's come from the Father. He's saying, I'm speaking what the Father says. He's saying that I'm not judging the world, but I've come to save the world, that the world might be saved through me. So let's get an understanding of that. That's where he is before he launches off into this next passage of Scripture, which is where we are tonight. So now we pick up at 13. Now, he's just stated these things. Now we pick up at 13. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So here it is. We're still speaking about Jesus, the Father, the Father being the source of eternal life, Jesus Christ being the expression of that source. Did you get that? The Father is the source of eternal life, and Jesus is the source. I mean, Jesus is the expression of that source. All right? So let's read verse 2. It says, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So here he is. Jesus making these references to him and the Father. He knows that his time has come. What does that mean? That means that he is aware that he's getting ready to leave this world and go to the Father. He knows he's getting ready to be crucified. He knows he's getting ready to die. So it says that after supper ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. So you see that. He put it in his heart. Now, we need to understand something about the heart. In Jeremiah 17 and 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we got to understand, family and friends, saints, people of God, is that the battle is always for your heart. Did you get that? The battle is always for your heart. Because that's where your treasures are. That's what you believe. That's what you exemplify. That's what your code of ethics is based in your heart. Your motivations is based out of what's in your heart. So we see that the devil, his job, he put into the heart of Judas he put into his heart the thought and the activity to betray Christ. Let's read on. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. John chapter 10, verse 30 says, I and my Father are one. So we must understand that. This, this is letting us know that this has come down to the end. We are coming down to the end of Christ's earthly ministry. And we must understand that these are the things that are being dealt with. We're dealing with love because it said he loved his own which were in the world and he loved them until the end. But love has to go through a test. Did you hear that? We can say we love all day long, but love has to go through a test. And here is the greatest test of all that our Lord and Savior has went through. All right, let's read on. Verse 4, it says, he rise up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, we must understand something about garments. Here, Christ is giving an example of what it is to live a life 
filled with him in your heart and in your spirit. It said that he laid aside his garments. Now, in this particular passage of scripture, we know from study and other, other uh, Bible scholars and people that have really delved deep into the word, they know that when we're talking about outer garments, it's signifying that this is the Lord's virtues and his attributes in the way he expresses himself. So when he laid aside his garments, he's basically saying, I'm going to put aside all of what I am vested of. I'm laying aside all of my deity, my power, things that I have inside of my spirit, what I come with. I'm laying aside these things, and I'm taking a towel, and I'm going to wrap myself in this towel. Did you get that? He's laying aside his his virtues, his expression. He's laying aside all that he is comprised of, and he's debasing himself to the lowest form that can be uh, given at this time. All right, let's read a bit more. It says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And that's very powerful right there. Why is that so? Because in those times, the act of pouring water is a job for a servant. Let's think about it. You go to a restaurant and you order your meal and you order your drinks. You order some water with some lemon or whatever like that. The server comes over to your table and you have glasses that may have already been on the table or they went to get the glass. But in any instance, the servant is the one that pours the water. He pours the water for you. So even in those times, that was signifying someone that was in a servant role, someone that was coming to serve whoever they were giving the water to. We get an example of that when we look at the book of 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. And in this passage of scripture, here is uh, a king that's speaking about uh, wanting to get a word from the Lord. And so they're trying to identify who is the person that got the word of the Lord. So in 2 Kings 3 and 11, it says, But Jehoshaphat said, is there, not a, is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Basically he's saying, is there a man of God anywhere present that we may be able to find out what God is doing or what he's saying at this time. Is anybody connected to the Lord? You see that? Is anybody connected to God? Does anybody have their ear at the mouth of God? And then what does it say from there? It says, and one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, well, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now, if you know anything about the scripture and the word of God, Elisha was a servant to Elijah. He served him as an apprentice. So here we got that passage that says he poured water on the hands of Elijah. He basically was there for Elijah's beck and call. Did you get that? He basically was there for Elijah's beck and call. He was in the place of a servant. He took no form upon himself. He didn't big himself up, but he was there to be an apprentice and to be able to serve the one who was commissioned at that time to speak the oracles of God. Okay, let's go on. It says, then cometh he to Simon Peter. So the Lord, what he did, he poured the water. He began to wash the disciples' feet, and he began to wipe them with the towel that he had on. So not only did he take off of his garments, his virtues, and his expression, and then he took the very towel that he had on himself, and he wiped them with that towel. 
So this is giving us a picture. God is always using different attributes of himself to clean us up. Did you get that? He's always using different aspects of himself to clean us up. So not only did he pour the water, but he took the towel that he had wrapped around himself and he wiped them off with the towel that was on him. So this is a picture of what God is expressing and doing through our beloved Savior. Now, he came to Simon Peter. Now, you know, Peter is always the spokesman. He's the one who always speaking first. Most of the time, he's the one that's acting first, whether it's presumptuously or sometimes it may be right. But Peter is always out front. So he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, Dost thou wash my feet? He's basically saying, uh, Jesus, are you coming to wash my feet too? Remember, Simon Peter is the same one who said, uh, uh, turn away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. When Jesus got him in, a, you know, he had that big drag net that he caught. He told him to go out and fish, and he didn't want to listen to him, but he said, okay, I'll do it at your word. And once he did what the word said, he got an increase that came into his life. So here is the same Simon Peter. He's saying, uh, Lord, you coming to wash my feet? And what did Jesus say? Verse 7. So Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now. He's basically saying, What I'm doing you don't understand. You don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. But you shall know hereafter. Basically he's saying, There is going to come a time that you're going to understand what I am doing. You're going to know what I'm doing, and you're not going to have to guess. All right, let's read on. Verse 8 says, So Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. He basically told Jesus that you're not going to ever wash me. I don't, I, don't, I don't want you coming to wash my feet. You don't need to, to stoop to that level and do that. But what did Jesus say to him? He said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Basically, Jesus is saying, if I don't wash you, then you have no way of being intimate with me. Did you get that? He's saying, if I do not wash you, then you have no part with me, meaning that you cannot participate in my administration. Did you hear that? The Lord is saying, if you don't allow me to clean you, if you don't allow me, Peter, to wash you, to cleanse your mind, your heart, your, your emotions, your spirit, your very soul, your very nature, then you cannot participate in the things that I'm doing. Wow. All right, verse 9. So it says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, okay. Since you say that, <laughs> not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> so you got to look at that. So, so Simon Peter is starting to understand just a little bit. You got to look at that. He's understanding a little bit about what Jesus is saying because he said, if you don't let me wash you, you can't get into my administration. You can't participate in my kingdom. You can't flow with me. Peter, if you don't let me wash you. So he changed his tune really quick. First thing he said is, you shall never wash my feet. After Jesus said that, then he said, okay, not only my feet, but also, look, here's my hands. Wash my hands and my head. So it's very significant that he chose those three areas about washing his feet, and then he also wanted his hands washed, and he wanted his head. I would, I would suffice to say that he's speaking about his hands because we always got to have the things of God in our hand. We need our hands to be, a, be, to be an extension of Christ and to be able to do the works of God. And our head needs to be cleansed because our thoughts, things that we think, things that's going on in our mind, we need to be washed clearly from everything, all the debris, all of the junk that's in the world. We need a thorough cleansing so that we can be purified to be fit for the master's use. So here we are. Verse 10, what did Jesus say to him? He said, he that is washed 
need not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. So basically Jesus is telling him that, listen, if I'm washing your feet, then I'm cleaning you all throughout. You are basically getting a full cleansing for me to wash your feet. For me to wash your feet, it's not only in the natural sense, but he's conveying a spiritual principle as well. We got to be washed by the word himself. And when the word washes us, then we are clean in every way. So it's no need to be divided up. This is why Jesus said, if you let me do what I'm going to do to you, then you're going to be clean throughout. So this is why as believers, we can't, we can't section off and we can't compartmentalize what the Lord wants to do in and through our life. Did you get that? We can't compartmentalize and we can't section off what God wants to do in our life. If we're going to be fully used and fully equipped and fully cleansed by the power of God, we got to let him do it the way that he chooses to do it. Did you hear that? The Lord Jesus, in your life, in my life, we got to allow him to do it the way he chooses to do it. So let's read on. Verse 11, it says, For he knew... Who should betray him? Therefore, said he, you are not all clean. So notice that we're talking about betrayal at this moment. And he said that some of you are clean, but not all. So this spirit of betrayal has a defiling component to it. Because he said you are not all clean. Because he knew that betrayal, the spirit of betrayal, was in the midst. So after that, it says, after he washed their feet, we on verse 12, and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you. Basically, Jesus is saying, do you know what I have done to you? Now, he is exemplifying his type of intimacy, his type of servanthood is something that is done to you. Most people would say, would you wash my feet for me? Oh, I'm going to get my, foot, my feet washed. Or they're going to do me a favor and wash my feet. You're going to do something for me. But Jesus was emphatic in his statement. He didn't say, did you know what I have done for you? He said, do you know what I have done to you? Did you get that? So this aspect of living for Christ and for the Christ magnitude to be expressed in your life and my life, we've got to let him do it unto us because his cleansing is something that's done to you. It's not something that's just done for you, but it's done to you, meaning it goes within, meaning that it is intimate, meaning that it is lasting. So, verse 13, he said, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. So Jesus is agreeing. He said, yes, you call me master and Lord, and so I am. He said, if I then your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, look at what Jesus is doing here. He flipped the terminology. They said, Master and Lord, and that's the way he put it. He said, you call me Master and Lord. But when he spoke back to them, he said, if I then be your Lord and Master. You see that? See, that's a difference there. Because somebody being their master and then Lord, and then it turns around as a Lord and master. So basically that is letting us know somebody can be a master or have a master, but they can be in defiance of that master. Somebody that's over them, they can be in defiance of that. But he said that if I then your Lord, so then he switches it. Because if he then is your Lord, then that means that your identity has been totally nullified 
and it's equated into the person of who your Lord is. Did you get that? If your identity, him being your Lord, it becomes nullified, meaning that it is non-existent, and your purpose is to only be an expression of your Lord and Master. So here Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So he's giving us a principle here. He says in verse 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now you got to look at this entire, look at this in this entirety. Jesus is dealing with the spirit of betrayal, but even in dealing with the spirit of betrayal, his love is being tested to the uttermost. And you'll see that in just a minute. So for you and me, we got to understand that love that's not tested is not going to manifest itself as true love. Did, did you hear that? Love that's not tested is not going to manifest itself as true love. So he said, verily, verily, or he's basically saying, truly, truly, I say unto you that the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. He's basically laying down a principle. Notice the terminology in the words that the Lord is using. He didn't say the servant is not greater than his master in this particular place. He said the servant is not greater than his Lord. So understand, that's why it's so significant when you become a born-again believer that, the, that Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior. Some people just have him as a Savior because they want to escape from eternal damnation. But when he becomes your Lord and Savior, that means that the promises of God, the attributes of God can be expressed in your life and they will come to fruition because you are acting on behalf of your Lord. You have sold your rights unto one who has total dominion and authority over your life. So this is why we see the varying degrees of people in their walk with God. It's because some of them have made him just their savior. Some of, some, some of us have made him just an escape route. And then others have made him Lord and Savior. And there is a great difference. Did you get that? So he said, if you know these things, verse 17, he says, happy are ye or happy are you if you do them. So he's speaking very plainly here. First Christ said, if you know these things, if you are intimate, remember, we talked about the word know, the intimacy of know. He said, if you know these things, if you are intimate, like I'm being intimate with you, happy, you're going to be happy if you do them. Did you hear that? So if people wondering why they're not happy, here is a great principle right here that the Lord puts forward. And most of the time it comes from people serving themselves and not others. Because he said, happy are you if you do them. So if you do them, you're going to be happy. Let's go on. In verse 18, what does it say? He says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. He said, I know whom I have chosen. So think about the gravity of that. Here is the Lord. He is telling you and I that he has chosen one that's going to stand in the place to exemplify or to demonstrate this spirit of betrayal. He said, I speak not of you all, because he's not talking to everybody. He said, I know whom I have chosen. So he actually chose the one. That's why this broadcast is called Chosen for betrayal, the agony of love, because this is love being tested, because he's speaking about that I have chosen one. And why? Why, why is this? It says it right after that. It says, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. So everything that the Lord is doing, 
is to fulfill or to bring a completion to what's been spoken about him before. Did you get that? Everything that he is doing is testifying about what has been spoken before because he came to fulfill all of the word of God. All 66 books, Old Testament to the New. He is the fulfillment of all the typologies. He's the fulfillment of all the shadows and types. He is the fulfillment. He is the very person, the very essence of everything that's contained in these 66 books. So what does he say here? He said, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that what eateth bread with me have lifted up his heel against me. David talks about that in the book of Psalms. He talks about the familiar friend that he has sweet fellowship with, that he went to the house of God with. So we got to understand is this is not something that's just in a flighty way. Here is this individual that has been spending time with him just as the other disciples have. But his spending time was on the peripheral. He never got into the intimate places with the Lord. And because of that, he couldn't partake of his saving grace. So let's read on in 19. It says, now I tell you before it come. He's basically saying this. Listen, I'm letting you know what's going to happen before it happens. So that when it comes to pass, that you may believe that I am he. I am he what? I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. I am the one that they prophesied about. I am the one that they talked about and they spoke about beforehand. He's letting them know. You're going to believe it. Once you see it come to pass, you're going to see the prophecy be fulfilled. So what does he say? He says, verily, verily, whatever it is, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that receive whomsoever I send receives me. And that's simple in itself. Whoever the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ sends, he's saying they're going to receive me because I sent him. He said, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. So basically he's letting us know this is the parallel. He's basically giving us a, a, a dynamic way to look at his, his, his powerful an intimate relationship with the Father because you know that the Father is the one that sent him. And so he's given us this parallel. What does he say in 21? It says, When Jesus had thus said he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now here it is. Jesus is troubled in spirit. Remember we said that love must be tested, the testing of it and then the spirit of betrayal because he's getting ready to die. And this is the last, this is the last instance that the enemy really has to come in to try to detour him from his path. So he says he was troubled in spirit. So, yes, the Lord was having anguish. He was having trouble. He was vexed in his spirit because he knew what was getting ready to happen. He knew what was getting ready to happen. And even in knowing that, what was breaking his heart the most is that he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you is going to betray me. But this is one whom I've chosen. So even though he had foreknowledge of these things, even though him being in the infinite place of God at that time, before the foundation of the world, knowing that this had to take place in his humanity, there was a troubling in the spirit. There was a, there was a vexing in his countenance. It says, so then the disciples looked one to another on another, doubting of whom he spoke. So now they're looking around trying to figure out, well, who could it be? What is it, who is it going to be that is going to do this thing? And in verse 23, what does it say? It says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You've heard that spoken about many a times. You probably heard it preached about in the pulpits many times. Here was one that was leaning 
on Jesus' bosom. He was reclining at the breastplate of the Lord. That's where he was. He was in the intimate place. Now notice, many of the others are on the peripheral. They're on the outside. But you got one who is staying close to him, intimate with him. Because he's right there. Right there on his bosom. Right there on his chest. Right there at his heart. So what does it say in 24? It says, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him. Basically, there's Peter again. He's, he's, he's saying, come here, listen, come here, come here for a minute. Uh, I want you to ask, who, who is it that he's talking about? So what is that saying? That's saying here is somebody that had to be corrected, somebody that had to be brought back into the fellowship of intimacy. He was beckoning to the one that was leaning close to the Lord. And many times that's how it happens in our life. If we find ourselves on the peripheral of God or on the outside of where he is, we always seem to try to draw from someone that seems to be leaning on his chest. Did you get that? We always seem to try to draw from people that are leaning close to him. And we can speak on that on many levels. I know I even do that at times when I'm on the peripheral. I need to draw. And when you know that there's someone that's leaning close and you can go and, and beckon them because you want to know the intimacy, you want to know the inner fabric, the inner workings of what God is doing and what he's speaking. So here in 25, it says that he then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him. So first he was leaning. He was leaning first. This is John. John was leaning on him. And then after Peter asked, could you find out who it is that he's speaking about? It says he then lying on Jesus' breast. So he went from leaning to lying. <laughs> That's like you're leaning on something, but then you start laying down. First you were leaning, now you're, now you're all the way in. So here it is. He went all the way in. There was John going all the way into the bosom of Christ or into the intimate places with him before he asked the question. He didn't ask the question why he was just leaning. He didn't ask the question why he was just semi-reclined. He asked the question when he lied all the way down. He came all the way in to the intimate places of the Lord. And what did he say? He said, Lord, who is it? Verse 26 says, and so Jesus answered, he said, he it is to whom I have given a sop. Basically, I've given him bread. When I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So here's this all planned out. Jesus dipped the bread. He gave it to Judas. He dipped the sop into the cup. And verse 20 says, and after the sop, after that, it says that Satan entered into him. And then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. So let's stop right there. Now the scripture is really being fulfilled because now this spirit of betrayal has now reached its climax. And it's done now because the act of the dipping has taken place. And there's so many different things that go along with that that we don't have the, the opportunity or time tonight to delve into. But basically, you see how powerful it is because first, the enemy had put into the heart of Judas to betray. He put it in his heart first. He dropped the seed in him. Once the seed was dropped, then it says that after the sop, Satan entered into. So he entered into him. So now you got the personification, the personification of the enemy. And now Jesus now is not even talking to Judas Iscariot. He's talking to the devil. He said, what you going to do, go ahead and do it quickly. Because he know he now has gotten full access to this man. And what is he using? He's using the spirit of betrayal to try to take him out. 
Now, what does he say here? It says, so now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. So here it is. No one sitting at the table. They didn't know why he was saying what he was saying to Judas. It says, for some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things which we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Because we got to remember that, remember when the lady uh, poured the oil on Jesus' feet, and when she washed his feet, that was the foot washing again, she anointed him with the perfumes, and she dried his feet with her hair. She was preparing him for his burial. But even in that instance, what did Judas say? He said something in regards to, why did you waste this precious oil? Why did you waste, waste this ointment? It could have been sold for money, or it could have been sold and it could have been given to the poor. That's what he said. So that's why they thought that this is the conversation that was taking place. Because remember, Judas had the bag. He was the financier. He was the treasurer, and he had the bag. So it then says, he then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So as soon as the dipping of the sop took place, as soon as it took place, it says that he immediately went out. And what time was it? It was night. So there was the personification of the enemy. He would already did what he came to do. Now he got access to this individual, and so he immediately leaves out of the presence of the Son of God. Wow. Many a times when we don't let God do the things that he wants to do, or when we get taken away by certain things, we immediately want to go out of his presence. I can say that for myself. When I know I'm out of the will of God, and the presence of God is, is there, or he's speaking to me, or he's showing me something or from a person or individual, and I'm out on the peripheral from being in the intimate places, I immediately want to stay out of the presence of God. And that's how you can locate where you are. So it says here in 32, he says, now this is what Jesus is speaking now. He said in 31, he said, therefore, when he was gone out, so when that presence had left, then this is what Jesus said. He said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So immediately after that took place, then that's when the glorification came. So here is the Lord. He is speaking about the agony of love, because it drove him to a point to where he was troubled in his spirit. But even in that instance, he still took off his vesture. He took off his garments. He took off his expression, and he demoted himself to the place of a servant or a slave to show us the way that we're supposed to treat one another, the way we're supposed to wash one another's feet, the way we're supposed to cover one another. So it says immediately after he was gone out, he said the Son of Man is glorified. What did he say in 32? He says if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. So here is the principle, and it gets even deeper as it goes on. But this is where glorification comes in. When the spirit of betrayal has come and manifested itself, and we as believers can overcome that by the power of love, then that instance is when God is receiving all the glory. Did you get that? When we can overcome that, that is when God really receives all the glory. Because remember, in this scripture here, in this chapter, this is the last frontal assault that the enemy really has. Now, he gets into the garden. He goes a little bit deeper there. But as far as the scripture being fulfilled, 
as far as the turning point taking place in his life where he is now submitted unto going forward with what's going to happen. This was the last frontal assault that he could launch to try to get him to turn. So for you and I, family and friends, we must understand that being chosen for betrayal is only for the glorification of God. Did you get that? Being chosen for betrayal is only for the glorification of God. Because we're looking at two individuals here. Judas Iscariot. Jesus said, I know whom I have chosen. He was chosen for betrayal. Jesus, our Lord, the Father sent him. He was chosen for betrayal. So there's two sides to the coin. What we have to decide is which one are we going to be on? We have to decide which one are we going to be on. Now, we're only in the middle of this. We still got a ways to go, but there's going to be a part two to this passage or a part two to this presentation called Chosen for Betrayal, The Agony of Love. But we wanted to open it up first and foremost so we can get a good direction of where we're going. So I pray tonight that you have been enlightened. I pray that this has edified you and has spurred you on to make you understand what God is doing and the tools that he's given us to overcome things that come against us in our life. I pray that it has blessed you. I pray that it has empowered you. Now, we are on every Wednesday at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is James Foss. This is The Defender. I pray that you've been blessed and empowered. Have yourself a great evening. We'll see you next time. God bless. The Defender is an online radio broadcast geared toward teaching the Word of God. Our aim is to present the scriptures of the Bible in an informative, systematic process that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We strive for the inner and accurate interpretation of the scriptures by revelation from the Holy Spirit. We are established to give us counsel as pertains to what He has revealed in His Word. Tune in next time for The Defender. The Defender is copyright by James Fox Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.